biggest news, the biggest reaction from the biggest sports. We've got your sporting fix covered all in one place. You're listening to the Sports Bubble. Yes, hello and welcome back to the Sports Bubble, your all-in-one sports podcast bringing you the biggest news from the biggest sports. We're back with both of us today for what feels like the first time in ages. Um, did you enjoy your discussion on Tottenham winning the league yesterday? Yeah, I, I did, mate. I, I did. I, I, I still have high, high expectations for Tottenham. I, to be honest, they've convinced me more than any other team. I found it funny as well how Maya was attempting to defend Eric Dyer, even though in her heart of hearts, she knows that he's not good enough for What's that What's wrong team. with him? Look, I mean, look, the guy... Yeah, he doesn't play the most attractive football. He's a bit of a brute. He's a bit of a blunt instrument. But you know what? He does his job. He does his job and he, he he's an aggressive guy. Like He's good for the team, good energy. I like Eric Dyer. Of course you do. Eric Dyer is such a Rory Jones type <laughs> of player to like. Anyway, lots of, lots of things have happened since we last done an episode together. I mean, we're back in lockdown. Last, we're back in lockdown. Um, Timo Werner's now on penalties. Well, I mean, Frank, Lampard, thought that? well Frank Lampard's clearly been... Actually, you know what? We owe a special thank you to Frank Lampard for listening to the Sports Bubble because he's clearly... Either he's been on his phone and been listening to our segments thinking, oh, God, yeah, you know what? These guys are right. He's put Werner on penalties and he's scored. I think he scored his last three penalties now. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to thank him too much. I'm not exactly a Chelsea fan, but it is interesting that we Definitely. I think we spoke. We spoke about it a lot. I think it's fair to say we tweeted about it a lot. Uh, something we felt very strongly about, but it's almost annoying because we can't speak about it anymore. It appears like Werner's going to be on penalties. Uh, As he should be. Uh, yeah, for the time being, at least, until he misses one. And I think I think that is the way it should be. If a player's taken a penalty, if he misses one, it passes on to someone else. I think that's quite a fair way of doing it. I, some people would say, oh, no, that's harsh. He's your best penalty taker. But I don't buy into this whole, oh, he's our best penalty taker. Most professional footballers can take a penalty. No, exactly. You know, if, you exactly. Can't take a, if you can't take a penalty, you shouldn't be a professional footballer. No, I sort of agree. I mean, uh, I'm struggling to think of any decent footballer I know who notoriously can't take a penalty. I think the good ones can take penalties. My man Sergio Ramos is one of the best penalty takers in the world. <laughs> I, I knew I'd, I thought I thought I'd bring him up just because you. No, but for once, is actually is is not a bad analogy because some people would say, "Oh, defenders can't take penalties." Of course they can. Of course they can. I think this whole argument that defenders cannot be useful in any other department, I mean, not, not that they have to score 20 goals a season or score as regularly as someone like a Sergio Ramos does, but like, I think it is a myth that centre-backs just have to be these sort of meat and potatoes guys who, you know, can they, they can defend, but they can't pass or, or shoot to save their lives. I think the modern centre-back is sort of doing something to dispel that myth, but... Um, I mean, quite yeah, I like, mean, I think the, the like best that. argument for proving that there's no such thing as a world-class penalty taker is Mark Noble. Mark Noble's, <laughs> I think he's he's only missed one penalty for West Ham in his lifetime and he's taken about 40. And all he does is run up and knock it down the middle 90% of the time. What, what? In, in those like 1-1 draws against Aston Villa and 1-0 wins over Watford, it was it was. They're, they're not the most glamorous penalties in the world. They're not top corner every single time. They're not hit with unbelievable power that the keeper doesn't stop them. He just runs up, waits for the keeper to dive, and knocks it the other way. It's not hard. To be fair, to be fair as as much as I like I like roasting you about Mark Noble, the one thing I I can say about him is I swear that he was like one of the most consistent penalty takers. Like not even just in the Prem, but I think in English football at one point. 
Yeah, it's still going. It's still going. We're not going to get into a discussion on Martin Over today, Rory, but we are here to kickstart your weekend, to kickstart your quarantine, you could say, uh, with a great show today. We'll be talking Saracens. Reports have emerged suggesting that the London club could be reinstated to the Premiership this season if the Championship doesn't go ahead. But does this defeat the object of having a punishment in the first place? Also, stay tuned for our brand new game of Sports Connection, where we'll ask each other questions and try and figure out the sporting link between the answers. But first, we're turning our attention towards Man United once again. There's been wins against PSG, that great win against Leipzig last week, but then United threw it all away, it seems, by losing to Istanbul on Wednesday night. There are rumours now emerging that Pochettino is in line to replace Solskjaer, but is this the right move or is Solskjaer getting unnecessary criticism, do we think? I think Solskjaer is getting unnecessary criticism to the extent that he's being blamed for Manchester United's failures. I think anyone who has three brain cells will tell you or who's been watching Manchester United in recent years will tell you that the board is the issue. You have a board who not only failed to back managers, but dismissed them after not, after not supporting them. You have this this weird cycle of the board. When a new manager comes in, they'll give them a bit of money. The next year, they'll give them a lot of money to spend on players. And then for some reason in, in the third season, they, they just stop. They just stop backing the manager. And this transfer window was an absolute shambles for Manchester United. It was, it was, it was an absolute mess. I mean, Jadon Sancho agreed personal terms with them in July, didn't bring him in, didn't sign him. Our defense is still pathetically weak. We didn't bring him a we didn't bring in a centre-back, which is another huge problem. And if you look at the failures that we have this season, our defense is the biggest issue. Our centre backs not good enough to win a well, not good enough to win a title. Definitely not. Well, for now, not good enough to finish in the top four. You look at where United are now, fifteenth in the table, and I think the I think the board are mainly responsible for that for failing to back Solskjaer on the window. When it comes to Solskjaer as a manager, I, I wouldn't solely blame him for the for the shortcomings this season, but I do think with his being li- linked to Maurizio Pochettino. If you're going to ask me, like, is Pochettino an upgrade over Solskjaer? Well, yes, he is. He's he's a proven manager. Considering what he did, he brought Spurs to a Champions League final. For me, do I think he could change things, turn things around at Manchester United? I'm not sure because of the mess, but the board will still be there. I mean, I think it's worth clarifying what exactly you mean by the board not backing the manager. Because I've been speaking to a few people recently about this same topic and I've agreed with you. I've said that I think if any Manchester United manager is going to be successful, they need the backing of the club. And their retort has been that, well, actually, if you looked at it, the club has been backing the managers. Manchester United have spent more money than any team in the Premier League, cumulatively, across the last five seasons. They've spent over, even their net spend is over 500 million in the past five seasons. And when you look at it like that, when you break it down like that, it seems like this argument that the board aren't backing managers, that they're not bringing in players, seems a bit ridiculous. So just can you explain exactly what you mean by the board backing the managers? Because for me personally, backing the manager means bringing in the players that he wants to bring in. Not necessarily just who you can get, not bringing players in on deadline day that aren't going to have time to adapt, that are going to take weeks and weeks to settle, that haven't had a proper pre-season at the club, but bringing in the players that the manager wants, that the manager thinks are going to fit his style of play, that for me is backing the manager. Not bringing in Edison Cavani and two 17, 18-year-old youngsters who haven't played professional football properly yet. 
In 2018, Jose Mourinho made it abundantly clear that he had told the board that there were five players that he wanted. I think it was William from Chelsea, didn't happen. He wanted Toby Alderweireld from Tottenham, didn't happen. The board apparently told him that, that they were both too old. I, I don't know what some bankers know that Jose Mourinho doesn't, but there you go. Um, I think the other players on that list, I think he was linked with Perisic as well. The move didn't happen. There were a couple of other players there who Mourinho had identified. It was outspoken about, wanted to sign. The board refused to back him. And lo and behold, within a few weeks, a few weeks and months into that season, Manchester United were terrible. He got sacked. This summer, look to this summer. It's quite clear that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wanted two particular players to bolster Manchester United's midfield and attack. Jack Grealish from Aston Villa and Jadon Sancho from Borussia Dortmund. Both of those players, what you could argue that they wanted the Manchester United move. I mean, with Grealish, it's more subjective. With Sancho, it's not even debatable because he, he'd agreed personal terms with his agent and Manchester United since July. Those, those players don't come in. And, but the biggest issue is also the defence. And you've got to look at the defence that wasn't good enough last season. And Manchester United do nothing to do nothing to improve that. And also, I'm not having this. I'm actually not having this, this, this argument that, oh, Manchester United have spent more money or blah, blah, blah. Because, look, Manchester City, you know what? If you look at Manchester City, the amount of money they've spent since Guardiola has come in is, abs- is just is on a different level to any other manager. This is a manager who, if you take his bank card away from him, I don't know what he has to show for himself. If you look I know, but at nobody's questioning, nobody's questioning City's owners back but, in But I'm club. using City as an example of a team who's been able to compete and a team that has backed their manager and has repeatedly signed centre-backs. I mean, 2016, they signed John Stones, 50 million. Mm, hasn't really worked out. Okay, no worries. Brought in Americ Laporte. That's over 100 million they spent on on centre back. If you're breaking it down like that, and I do see what you're saying, but, but you, look at, that, you look at that Manchester United defence: Luke Shaw around 30 million, Lindelof around 30 million, Harry Maguire 80 million, Tellez being brought in 20 million. But these players signed. Right Damian was brought in for about 20 million. I seem to remember. But the, these players were signed like five or six years ago. This is literally in the last four years since Guardiola has been at Manchester City. They've signed, most recently, Ruben Diaz at over 60 million. You also have the likes of Nathan Ake they brought in this season for over 40 million. They've continually backed Pep Guardiola. What like, I'm saying, Rory, is is backing the manager fundamentally dependent on how much money that club is spending? No. Or is there more to it than that? There's much more is, to is it. it much more exactly. To it. And that's what I'm saying, because the way you're sort of arguing it is because City have spent more money on centre-backs this season, that automatically means that they're backing Guardiola. I don't think it does mean that. I think it is that Guardiola has given a list of players to the owner and said, look, these are who I'm interested in. This is who I potentially like to bring in. Do I think Nathan Ake and Ruben Diaz were City's first choice centre-back options on this list? Probably not, in all honesty. But I'm not saying that every club should be able to go out there and sign every manager's first choice because that's not the way football works. Sometimes you simply cannot negotiate a deal. Sometimes the player doesn't want to move. Sometimes the club on the other end just doesn't want to sell that player. But it should be that the manager has a list of players that he wants to bring in 
that he thinks can suit his style of play. And if you don't get your first choice, you realise that early on and move on to the next one. Manchester United's main transfer target this summer was Jadon Sancho. Who did they bring in on deadline day? Edison Cavani. He doesn't even play the same position. So he clearly wasn't the second choice on that list. And that is what I mean when it comes to backing the manager. Just because they're paying him high wages, just because they've spent money on other players, doesn't mean that they're backing the manager because these players clearly, clearly weren't on the list of transfer targets. These two youngsters, I can guarantee you that they were not talked about being signed until the end of that transfer window. No, it's, it's complete ineptitude. Like, I mean, if Jadon Sancho, who had agreed, per, I'll say again, agreed personal terms with United and we still didn't sign him. But if we really couldn't sign Jadon Sancho, okay, fine. Look at Memphis Depay. We literally have a buyback option on him for, yeah. I think, 25 million or something. Or the, I think it's more than that, actually. But we have a buyback option. No, for you're right. Him. Because not many people know that, do they? We I, 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 think, I don't think it's common knowledge for that many people out there that, Manchester United have a buyback clause on Depay. We can get him. You look at, at how well you look at how well he did for Leon last year. You look at how Barcelona were interested in him, and you think, oh, maybe he didn't work out first time round. Maybe Oli doesn't want him. But surely, surely, when you break it down, he's still a better option than Cavani. Uh, the thing is, we could go on and have a long debate on the board and whether or not we agree with what they're doing, whether or not they're backing the manager. What I want to move on to now, though, is actually just breaking it down to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer specifically. And is he a good football manager? In his first 100 games, he had 55 wins, 21 draws, 24 defeats. Alex Ferguson only had 48 wins in his first 100 Premier League games. Yeah, what but so, but that, that's it. There's a lot of factors to contend with here. But when you break it down, you're a Manchester United fan. How good an actual football manager is Solskjaer? He has his moments. He does have his moments. And I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I think he's world class. In and among these disappointing Premier League performances, we've been able to go and beat PSG in, in Paris. And yeah, people who dislike Manchester United or bitter fans will go and say, oh yeah, but PSG aren't that great. Blah, blah, blah. That team was in a Champions League final a few months ago. And for anyone who actually watched the Manchester United PSG game, you saw... Not just Manchester United outplaying PSG, but Solskjaer tactically outclassing PSG. If if you look at what the way that we played, I'm pretty sure we switched from four at the back to five midway through that game, and it was the right move. You had the likes of Rashford playing on the right wing, which I think he's been doing more of this season where he hadn't been previously, and he was making these runs in behind continuously. Tuanzebi was starting alongside Lindelof, and that was that was one. That was the what Tuanzebi put on one of the best centre back performances I've seen of anyone in recent years. Anyone on any, any European side. It was absolutely incredible how this guy, who I'll be honest, I didn't even really have much of an opinion of. I hadn't, I hadn't really seen him in a long time for Manchester United. And he goes and, and shuts down Neymar and Mbappe. It was unbelievable. So you have games like that. And then you have the Leipzig game with the 5 0 win over RB Leipzig my German team, who are currently leading the Bundesliga, and they might not be now, but they were at the time. And you have these performances, but I think the issue with Solskjaer is consistency. You equally have these games where we lose to a Burnley or a Brighton or some of these lesser teams, like we did, I think, in January. I think we lost to both of those teams. Basically, you know what I mean? I mean, like, teams like... It's becoming a recurring theme, do you not think, when you're saying we're losing to Brighton, we're losing to these, I don't want to say smaller clubs, but 
they are smaller clubs. I suppose you could, but losing to these smaller clubs in the Premier League, it's becoming a recurring theme. Is it that Solskjaer is good against playing against these big teams because the way that he sets up his side is playing on the counter-attack and that's why he has so much success. That's why they got the result against PSG as they did two years ago as well. That's why they got the result against Leipzig. That's why, I mean, they drew against Chelsea, but they beat them home and away last year. They beat City home and away last year as well. Solskjaer's record against the big teams, aside from that game against Tottenham a few weeks ago, is pretty good when you actually break it down. But he has consistently struggled to pick up results against these smaller sides. And is it because he sets his team up to play on the counter-attack? If these teams sit back against him and put men behind the ball, he doesn't have a plan B. I'm not entirely sure. I, I think there's definitely some truth in that. But when you think about it, I, I, th- I think the issue is with Solskjaer is that because he's, his record is so bad against lower teams or teams we expect to be, we almost lose that expectation. When, when Ferguson was the manager, there was that expectation that we would win every game and occasionally, maybe occasionally lose to a, you know, a title challenging team like a, a Chelsea or an Arsenal back in, back, back in their heyday. But I think that expectation now is gone. I think it's been fading out over the years. And now we're actually, it's got to the point where I'll check my phone and who've United got next? Say it's a its a Crystal Palace or it's a Newcastle or something like that. And I'm no longer thinking, oh, we're going to win that game. I'm sort of thinking, oh, is this going to be, is this going to be another one of those days? Another one of, the, one of the dithering, disappointing performances. The only thing I would say though, is my, one, of, one of my issues is Solskjaer's dependence on Harry Maguire, I think is... I don't really understand it. Maybe, maybe I'm putting this out there. Maybe the fact that he was such an expensive signing, maybe there's some pressure on Solskjaer to play him more. I but that's don't not know. Solskjaer's dependence on Maguire. That's Manchester United's dependence on Harry Maguire. But Do I you think- not think if any manager in the world came in right now, bear in mind that they can't sign any more defenders, any manager would be dependent on Maguire? Well, I don't know. Understand- they don't have any other world-class centre. Some people don't consider Maguire, but he's their best centre-back. But it doesn't matter like- who they bring in. Pochettino's not suddenly going to turn Lindelof into a world beater in the next couple of months. They're still going to be relying on Maguire to shore up that defence. But it, but if you look at the way that Tuanzebi played against PSG, put on one of the best centre-back performances I've, I've seen from anyone in recent years, and then we just don't see him for the next few games. He started, he started I believe, during the week, actually, against Istanbul, um, Bazak Sahir. But aside from that, that's his only other appearance. And... I don't understand because when you have a, a player as out of form as, as Harry Maguire was, why not just put why not just start to Zebi and Lindelof? That's the only centre back pairing that has actually looked really quite strong this season for that one game against PSG, and we've not seen those two players again. I don't get it. I think, but I, I think the problems run much deeper at Manchester United than the manager. I think I'm at a point where I look at these headlines, I see that Pochettino is being being lined up to replace Solskjaer. All these idiot fans are shouting Oli out, Oli out, Oli out, like it's the next fashionable thing. But that doesn't change anything. That doesn't change anything. We sack Solskjaer, then what? We still have the Glazers. We still have a board that won't back managers, that won't sign the players that we want. We still have all these issues at Manchester United. And we have a club that's been run like a like a fast food chain. And we have... Um, Honestly, like, I don't see it. Let's talk, let's talk long term, long term. You're talking long term here. And I, I, I agree with you, I think long term until those owners leave, there are always going to be problems at Manchester United, it seems. But let's talk short term. Let's talk this season. 
if Solskjaer was to be sacked and Pochettino came in, do you think that you would start picking up these results against the smaller teams? Do you think that he could imprint his philosophy on that team to such an extent? I don't think instantly, no. I, th- I think I think whenever there's a new, a new manager, like we actually saw when Solskjaer first came in, there is a general boost and in morale and the players will want to play for the new manager. And I think when it's a guy as well-respected as Pochettino, that he would have an impact. But I don't know if that if that improvement would be immediate. And I think also when you actually, people have short memories, but when, when you first came to Spurs, you it wasn't instant success for him. I think it was sort of more of a, a long-term improvement that he made to that team. He gradually got them to adapt to his playing style and then made Spurs the formidable force that they were for those years. I, fin- I think they finished second two, two or three seasons in a row. Obviously, they finished second to Leicester in the 15-16 season. And I will say this, though. I, th- I think long-term, Pochettino improves that team. And long-term, I think he's a better manager than Solskjaer. And long-term, I think I'd rather have him as the manager because I think he's proven. I think if you, if you look at what he did with Spurs, if he can do that with Manchester United, but the board needs to prove that they can actually back a manager for once. If they back Pochettino, I think he can potentially turn things around. But I don't know, to be quite honest. It, it depends. I, th- I think a lot hinges on the board. It still hinges on the board. If you're going to ask me right now, who would I pick as my manager, Solskjaer or Pochettino? Without a doubt, it's Pochettino. When you break it down, if Manchester United are going to have long-term success, then the club needs to give the manager the back in to bring in the players that he wants to bring in. But whether you're talking long-term success or short-term success, Pochettino is a better manager than Solskjaer. He's proven it in the Premier League. He's got Tottenham to a Champions League final. And tactically, he's far superior to Solskjaer. And when you consider that he's on offer at the moment, he's been out of management for almost a year. Eventually, if Manchester United don't snap him up now, someone else will do. He's a world-class football manager and he is not done in management just yet. He said on Sky Sports on Monday night, he was hinting at a return. Brendan Rodgers was hinting at a return for him as well. He is going to go. He is going to get a job in management sometime soon. And if Manchester United don't act now, if they decide to give Solskjaer another couple of months in a few months, I can't see anything changing. And I think Manchester United will miss the boat on it. So for me, I think if Manchester United are going to have success later down the line, then stuff with then things are going to have to change with the board. But in terms of who they have as manager right now, whether or not it brings them immediate success or not, they need to bring in Pochettino. I remember this time last year when Tottenham sacked Pochettino, I celebrated. And I'd never done that in my life before. I literally celebrated because another club had sacked their manager purely because at that point I was not convinced by Solskjaer. And I was thinking, brilliant, we can finally, Pochettino is there for the taking. We can go out and bring him in and he can be Manchester United's new manager and hopefully lead us to, to greater successes in the future. And I, I, I thought that was the weirdest, the weirdest reaction ever to, you know, a guy being sacked by his, by a, 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 a manager from a different club being sacked. But if he is there, why, why I, I don't understand what we have to lose by bringing him in. I don't think Oli deserves to be sacked and scapegoated for, I don't think he deserves to be scapegoated for United's failures this season. I think a lot of that is on the board, not on him. Do I think Pochettino is a better manager? Yes. Do I think we should snap him up before he's before he's off the market and he's in Barcelona or somewhere? Absolutely, yes. I think Poch is the man to, if anyone can fix Manchester United and is available, it's Pochettino.
We're going to move on to Rugby Union now and talk about Saracens, a club which hasn't failed to make the headlines this year for all the wrong reasons. As most people will know, Saracens were relegated from the Premiership this year after breaching salary cap regulations. They were initially just deducted points, but then it was decided that they would be relegated to the Championship for a season. They've managed to keep hold of a lot of their star players, Captain Owen Farrell, Mara Toje, staying put at Saracens for the season. But... Complications have arisen after it's been announced that contingency planning is taking place amidst fears that this season of the championship, the second tier of English domestic rugby, obviously might not actually go ahead at all because of the coronavirus pandemic. And that has raised the question whether or not Saracens might actually be reinstated in the premiership immediately. There's been question marks over whether the premiership might be grown from a 12 team league into a 14 team league both Saracens and the Ealing Trailfinders may be being promoted for me normally any proposal that Saracens should be immediately reinstated into the Premier League just because they've got good players is a farce it, it has no grounds whatsoever it's laughable almost and it's not something that we should consider at all but as we all know these current circumstances are so unprecedented and so different to anything we've seen before. And what we're talking about here is not reinstating Saracens simply because they've got players that people like and because they're a big club and that we want the premiership to be bigger overall. It's because the championship itself might not actually happen. The majority of teams in that league haven't trained since about February. It's due to start in January, but at the moment that's seeming like it might not happen. And if the championship only starts in February or even March, then it would be physically impossible for them to complete the season. I'm not even sure they'd have time to play each other once, let alone twice, and they couldn't complete the season. So there are genuine question marks over whether or not the championship will actually happen. And if it does happen at all, because they wouldn't be able to have a full season, many people are saying that there might not be promotion and there might not be relegation. In essence, saying that all of these matches taking place would essentially be friendlies. That would also mean that Saracens would then not only spend this season in the championship, but next season in the championship as well. That's two years without Owen Farrell, without Mara Toje, without Jamie George, without all of these England superstars actually playing a competitive game. For me, that is where you actually have to start raising question marks and thinking, you know what, maybe this is what's right morally, but is this actually good for rugby? The other point I would consider is... Saracens were punished by being relegated to the championship. The terms of this punishment were, look, you've broken the rules. You're going to go down and play in the championship for a season, but you will have the chance to get promoted again. If the championship is going to happen like people are suggesting and that there's not going to be promotion, this breaks the term of the punishment. This isn't what the punishment was supposed to entail. They were supposed to be allowed to compete to come straight back up again. The punishment wasn't spend two years in the championship it was go down and potentially get promoted back up again. So in this way, I think that that breaks the terms of the punishment and that that gives grounds for it to be renegotiated. What I would consider is 
bringing Saracens back up to the Premiership. I think the majority of rugby fans would want to see the Premiership grow, would want to see it expanded to 14 teams. It's definitely feasible. It could definitely happen. It would add a lot more spice into the into the division, I think. Because that's some, but she spice to things. I don't know why I've used spice as the terminology. Spice, that I do really... You need spice sometimes. Yeah, well, you, need, you need a bit of spice in rugby. We but... need some spice in the... We definitely need some spice in the Premiership. I can tell you that. Exactly. And I think 14 teams would help to revamp it, would help to, to grow interest in it a bit. The issue I've had with rugby in terms of like its its popularity on a domestic level, like yes, it's competing with football, but at the same time, there's only one part of the country where rugby is genuinely the main sport. And that's that's the West country, isn't it? I mean, you've got the likes of Exeter and their Exeter, Exeter Chiefs are more popular than, than the, any football club in that part of the country, which is quite remarkable. But then you look at the rest of the country and yes, they're having to compete with with football clubs for for fans but you just look at the premiership and you look at where a lot, a lot of these teams are based in smaller cities maybe in the midlands or in the south of england in smallish towns and yeah there's a couple of sub uh, clubs in, the, in in the suburbs of london and i just i th- i think if the premiership is truly to expand then yes they need to bring up some of these teams like if they were to i mean saracens i think i'll, I'll come on to in a second but I would also make the point that there needs to be more professional rugby clubs, maybe in the north of England for a start. I know Yorkshire Carnegie, former Leeds Carnegie, it hasn't always been a a hugely successful club. But I think these are markets where if they were to set up rugby clubs and invest in them, then potentially that could result in the expansion of the Premiership. So are you saying that... that you agree with the expansion of the Premiership, but you want to see clubs from different parts of England, i.e. a Yorkshire, come up instead of reinstating Saracens. Is that what no, you're I saying? Think, I think both. I actually think both. I, I think if that means... I, I, I think having a, a, a large expansion and also having the best teams in there, I think from but a... Rugby, you were so opinionated on their punishment i've talked about I've, I've looked I've, I've talked i'm talking about i'm not talking about from the from a moral standpoint here i'm talking about just from a from purely a rugby standpoint i don't agree with what saracens did and i was happy that they were i, I wouldn't say i was happy but i felt that the right decision was made so that they would be relegated but i think just from a pure rugby perspective saracens do as much as i disagreed with what they did and the scandal saracens should still should still be in the premiership and that's the thing if you have a premiership where it's just going to be dominated by an extra chief side, what running it in from 10 yards and, and winning every game or something like it's, it's just not very interesting. Is it? If that were a meal deal, that would be like a ready salted crisps and a ham sandwich and a, and, and a, and a Buxton water. Honestly, if that's it, if that's the best the premiership has to offer, then it's just not as interesting to watch. Is it? If you want to add some spice to the premiership, <laughs> and have a competitive title race. You need Saracens. Saracens are that spice. They are some of England's best players. They still, in my opinion, play the best brand of rugby that you'll see. And, I mean, personally, I'm a neutral. I think they're much more exciting to watch than, than Exton. No discredit to Exeter. I think what they do is brilliant. But the Premiership needs those teams there. It needs a competitive title race to stay interesting. So I suggested that you could bring Saracens back up to the Premiership, but like they had this season, give them a points ban. Do you disagree with that? Because that obviously wouldn't make the Premiership that interesting because they'd probably be so far back that they couldn't actually compete for the title. And yes, you're probably right. Exeter may well walk away with it again. We saw Wasps improve last year. We saw Bath be pretty good and are only going to get better. 
Bristol really impressed me as well. But I think Exeter are still by far and away the favourites. If Saracens had a points ban, they probably wouldn't, or a points deduction, sorry, they probably wouldn't be able to compete. So where do you stand on that? If they come back up, do you impose another form of punishment on them in the form of a points deduction? Or do you say, look, it's a level playing field. I know you were supposed to have a punishment, but we've realised how good you are for rugby. Let's have fun and compete. Look, if they're going to let them back in, then just let him back in. I mean, for God's sake. I mean, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to make Owen Farrell kick with his left foot for a season or something? I mean, if, if you're going to let them back into the Premiership, then you have to be of the understanding that it's to make it's purely from... That's a rugby decision. That's a decision to have the Premiership as exciting as possible and have a competitive league. But that's fully Derek, suggesting that they're above the law. I'm not suggesting... That is like saying it doesn't matter what you do wrong. I'm not saying that. So good for the, you are so good for the game of rugby that you can just stay in. Look, look, I think if we're going to play it from a moral standpoint, from a moral standpoint, yeah, you know what? From a moral standpoint, point, yeah, let them rot in the championship. Let them stay I, don't, I, don't, I know there's different standpoints, but what standpoint is your standpoint? I think it depends. Are, you, are, you, thinking mor- are you thinking morally or are you thinking in terms of the rugby brand here? But if you had to make the decision, because you've been so opinionated on how much they've done wrong in the past, on how bad their actions were, on how they were fully deserving of this punishment, and now, because you're thinking that the Premiership is probably going to be boring without them, you're seemingly changing your mind. So which one is it? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with rugby on this one, because as bad as it looks, I, I think as bad as... Look, I've been outspoken about this, because I really disagree. I really disliked what Saracens did. I was disappointed, if nothing else. I, I, I mean, I... I yeah, not to sound like a dad, but I wasn't necessarily angry with what Saracens did. I was just disappointed. And I think, yes, in 2019, I was disgusted with what happened. And just it was it was a massive letdown. I'd, I'd, I'd admired Saracens for a number of years. And when I found out about this, it was very disappointing news. But what I will say is that when you have rugby, in, in the wake of this pandemic, in which competitive rugby is, at, is, is, is being threatened and when you have a championship season that might not go ahead and you have the prospect of having Saracens playing in the championship for two years and the prospect of a, of a boring premiership where it's just Exeter running it in from 10 metres out or whatever it is and for, the, for, the, for an entire year and having no competition and winning the premiership, that's just boring. You need Saracens in there. You need Saracens to bring that spice back to the premiership and you need it to be more competitive. From purely a rugby standpoint, yes, I don't agree with what Saracens did, but from purely a rugby standpoint, you need those players in the Premiership and you need an exciting Premiership. If rugby is to make it through the pandemic and if we're going to have a more exciting championship that people can buy into and watch every week, not knowing what will happen, then you need them to be back reinstated in the Premiership. Yes, you're not going to win a Nobel Peace Prize for that decision, but I think it's the right one for, just purely to save rugby. It's time now for a new segment on the Sports Football that we're calling the Sports Connection. Essentially, the way this is going to work is I've got three questions for Rory. They're not necessarily sport questions. They could be on anything. But the answers between the three questions are going to have a sporting link. And what Rory's going to have to do is work out this sporting link. There's going to be clues involved as well if Rory doesn't get it from the questions. But essentially, all he's got to do is figure out this sporting link. So he doesn't necessarily have to get the answers to every question right. But what he has to do is work out the link between the answers to figure out the sporting link. I think I've gone on enough. I think we've established it's like, how it's, it works. It's, yeah, it's sort of like I'm the monkey in the, in the circus act. It's like, I've got to <laughs> can Rory figure out what the link is. 
Yeah, essentially, we have absolutely no idea how this is going to work. the monkey, aren't I? I've got no idea how Rory's general knowledge is either, so he might not got any of the answers to these questions. I mean, and I'm not sure whether the links are too obscure or not, but I think you'll get at least a couple of them. So I'm, we established, you've est- have you established how it works? Because I don't even think Rory understood it before, well, I was explaining it before the show, but I think this is going to work well. I mean, I'm getting, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm drinking my coffee. I'm going to be caffeinated for this one. So hopefully that gives me something of it. That gives me a few extra brain cells so I can, I can figure out how to do this. <laughs> so we'll see. Okay. I think the way it's going to work is you can talk us through your thought process. Okay. And how you, you're coming to it. So if you think you've got the link after the first question, which you probably won't because it's pretty impossible then say if you think you've got it after two then say but i'm going to be nice for this week and say you can have unlimited attempts oh thank you thank you very much okay so you ready kind of you yeah sure okay so i'm going to insert dramatic music here okay your first question rory is the name for a large bundle of raw or finished material bound together with cord stack pile so i'm actually not going to tell you whether the answer here is right isn't it basically you don't need to know if you're right yet you've got if you think it's stacked then keep it in the back of your mind or not say out work out well no you can do but you need to work out if you think it's stacked you need to work out how that links to the other answers i see i see and what sporting link stack could what thickens so question number two the name of the 1941 American drama film by Orson Welles, often considered one of the best films ever made. How am I supposed to know that? Have you not heard of this film? What, 1941? It's, it's often considered the best film ever made. I mean, yeah. If it's won thought... more Oscars than any other film. I genuinely don't know. If I, I'll tell you the first word to it then, to give you a bit, of a, a bit more of a clue. So it's Citizen Something. No idea. Citizen Unknown or something? Like, Citizen... No, I don't know. What? Okay, I'll move on to question three. A film director best known for creating the Star Wars and Indiana Jones franchises. Aha, no, I've got this one. Okay, that's easy. That's easy. I've got that one. Yeah? Yeah. You, you keeping it to yourself? Well, I feel like you should say them out loud. Because... Okay, I mean, yeah, it's, it's obviously George Lucas, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. 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 So I don't need to tell you. You obviously know that one. So George Lucas. So think about what sporting links could come from that. I've got another clue for you now if you want it. Well, I I think I'd try and work out the, try and go through the answers to the questions first. So the name for a large bundle of raw or finished material, you said stack. Stack. So you've got stack and George Lucas so far. Oh, God. Stack, George Lucas. Ah, is it the New York Jets? I think I think Lucas was a New York Jets fan or something. It's not the New York Jets. No, you what? I'm I'm thinking no. It wasn't George Lucas. It's oh god, not to get these mixed up or anything. But it's J.R.R. Martin who's a New York Jets fan. Okay, no, that's a bit pathetic. If I was to say the answer to the first question was Hey something, Haystack, maybe. And question number two. The name of the 1941 American drama film, often considered the best film ever made, Citizen Something. Do you want your clue? Do you want your big clue? My big clue? What is it? Citizens Unknown or something? It's not Citizens Unknown. What is it? It's, cit- it's not Citizens either. It's Citizen Something. Citizen Someone. Yeah, Citizen. Citizens. Do you want your clue? Your yeah, clue is all or nothing. I thought you'd get it from this. 
you need to think a bit more outside the box. It's not necessarily that both were, it's not, so George Lucas, it's not necessarily that both George and Lucas linked to this answer. It might just be that George links to the answer and it might just be that Lucas links to the Luca, answer. all or nothing is Tottenham. Yes. Lucas Mora, is it Lucas Mora? No, obviously not. Lucas is one of the answers, but you've basically got it. So all or nothing is Tottenham. Yeah. Lucas is... Lucas is what? the guy who plays for Tottenham. <laughs> yes. So the link between the question is... Spurs. Yeah, they're all Spurs players. Ah! I so see. the name for a large bundle of raw or finished material, a hay bale. Oh, I see! A bale! And the name of the 1941 film is Citizen Kane. Is it actually? Is that actually yeah. a film? I've never, never heard of it. You've never heard of Citizen Kane. Is that actually no? I've heard of Harry Kane before. What a bloke! Really? No, that's you know what? That's my mind is blown. That's that's good. That's good. It's actually. a good idea, though, isn't it? Lucas, because like, no, all or nothing was so obviously that was quite bait. Like that was quite yeah, obvious. Yeah, well, that's why I didn't give it to you to the end. Bale, ah, Bale, Kane, and Lucas. Bale. You should have said the thing that goes on top of a wicket, so some of a wicket or something like that, or something you stand on in summer. Yeah, bales. But something then I that thought I would you push know. around in my field, like when I'm up north, but yeah. <laughs> when I'm a kid. But I don't know if that one was too hard. You obviously didn't get it, but I think you'd struggle if you didn't know the, the first film one was hard. I think the first one was that was that some niche definition you found of bale? Like I've never. I just typed in a definition of hay bale, and that's what came up. But you should. I mean, there was a wood that threw me. Like bale is not wood. Is 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 straw? If you just said like straw tied up in a in a thing, then I'd say bale. But no, I said the name for a large bundle of raw or finished material. Yeah, that's so ambiguous. If you just said hay and not material, I'd have got bale. Okay, that's well, I said, I know I said hay and you said haystack. <laughs> anyway, I've got a couple more for you, so we'll move on. I don't oh, know whether right. or not you'll find them hard or not. But the next one, but you get the way it works now, I think. Yeah, no, I, I th- yeah, the caffeine's kicking in as well, which is helping. Okay, so the next one, first question The American sitcom, which revolves around a large family with six children. Oh, I know that. That's not an American sitcom. That's an English sitcom. Shameless. No. There's more than six children in Shameless as well, I'm pretty sure. No, it's six at the beginning. Um, It's also been an American sitcom as well, hasn't it? Because they made Shameless US. Yeah, I've not even watched that and I don't want to. to We're really not talking about sport at the moment, are we? But anyway, (sighs) think about that. I can give you you a clue, but I'll give give it to you at the end. Because otherwise I think you'll get it. No. What, an American sitcom with six children? No, uh, which revolves around a large family with six children. Kardashians? No. I'll move on to question two. The name for a person who often sells bread and other products made of flour using a concentrated heat source. This is straight from Google definitions again. Ah, no, I know what this is. Yeah, you got this one. Is this the Browns? It's not the Browns. It's not the Browns. Ah, Carry on, carry on. And your third question is, another name for a gentle wind. Breeze. Yep. Is this the New Orleans Saints? No, but how would that work? Rory, you're being stupid. What, bre- what do you mean, Breeze? Breeze. So you've got, you've got the answer to two and three. Hmm? So what's the answer to question two? Baker. Yeah. Of course. Is it, oh, wait, 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 wait. So Baker, Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Legend. Breeze, Drew Breeze, legend. Yeah. This is NFL quarterbacks. It is NFL quarterbacks. What was the there you go. Thing? The Brady Bunch. 
What? <laughs> I've never heard of that in my life. Is that Have you not? Thing? It's quite. It's a well-known American sitcom. Never heard of that. I mean, fair enough though. That's a good. I and like then your. I liked that one. And then your clue was Catch Twenty Two. <laughs> it's quite funny, actually. I, I mean, I yeah. You see, that. but this, this is what I mean. So you don't I necessarily. Got, I would not have got Catch Twenty Two. I don't even know what that is. You don't know what Catch Twenty Two is? Not, not, I haven't the foggiest. I don't know what. Who do you think I am? I, like, there was that. There was that film in the first one, like Captain Kane or Citizen Kane or something. I've never well, heard but of that. But this is life. the this is the thing. You don't necessarily need the answers to all the questions to get the link. It's good. I'm enjoying this. What's the, what's the last one you got? Okay, so you're one from two so far. Mm. I'm not giving you the first one because you took too long. Okay. This last one, you maybe got to think a bit more outside the box again, but I think it's pretty easy. So the first one is the name given to the young of a fox, bear, or other carnivorous mammal. Oh, for God's sake. What is it? A cub? Is it a cub? Again, I'm not supposed to be telling you whether these answers are right yet. You've got to figure out the link. Question number two. What colour socks would turn your whitewashing pink? Mate, this is just baseball. This is so obvious. Cubs, Red Sox. <laughs> Have I got it? Is that it? Is that actually it? What was your final answer? Red Sox, isn't it? It's the Boston Red Sox. So your answer is the Red Sox. Red? No, red, red. So the first one is Cubs. Yeah, so what's the link? Baseball. Baseball MLB. what? What? What do you mean? Oh, wait, no. Baseball, what? MLB, baseball. Oh, okay, fine. I'll give it to baseball, baseball teams. Baseball teams. Oh, baseball teams. Oh, I forgot the teams bit. Okay. What was the last one going to be? Slang for people in Northern America. Yankees. There you exactly. There this you. is what I mean. So I was trying to, it's quite hard to gauge how hard to make them. So that was obviously a very easy one. I think we should make this a daily segment. You like it? I genuinely yeah, I think, well, you're going to have to give some. To, you, you, you'll have to do some for me. I'll next have to time. do some for you. I can work on some for you tomorrow. I think this should be a daily, daily segment. Keep people entertained. Well, well, we'll let the people decide on that one. So, if you've enjoyed that segment of Sports Connection, we're open to a name change on that as well because we realise that it doesn't exactly sound that thrilling. What about- do get in touch with us on Twitter, on Instagram, on all of our social media. Let us know what you think. You can play along at home with this game as well. Uh, you can send us in ideas if you've got any good ones for us. Uh, and do let us know what you think. We're happy to make it into a daily segment, into a weekly segment, uh, but interested to know your thoughts. We feel like it's a fun little segment we can end the shows on. Uh, and I think, Rory, you enjoyed doing that, yeah? Oh, it was good fun. It was good fun. We can start our own scoreboard and table for it as well. So you got two from three today maybe you can do three for me tomorrow and we'll see how many i get but as i said do let us know your thoughts we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the sports bubble we'll be back again on monday with another episode but thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you soon